0: Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor.
1: If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. Hello. Hello! This This is a podcast, a true crime podcast called Color Me Dead. Yes, it is. We are your hosts. Angel Mays and Nikki. T- 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 <laughs> I don't Nikki know my Merrill. last name. <laughs> I, I forgot. It. I don't like it. Take it back. It changed. And I don't so... know it. I still don't know it. Even though it's the one I've had for most of my life, I don't know it. But we're here with episode 103 David yeah. Rothenberg. Part two. Pair two. Yeah. But so why don't you tell us where to find us on social media? Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're there. <laughs>
0: Um if you ca- get <laughs> go there. If you go to Twitter, you can follow us at Color Me Dead Pod. If you go to Instagram, it's Color Me Dead Podcast. You can follow Faro. ra, 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 ra. Oh, uh Squirrel Hunt. Uh there's the most racist book I've ever seen in my entire fucking life in a library where I work. And um the funny fucking thing is it's called an American-born. Chinaman. And there's a scene where a cousin comes from... I'll have to, like, borrow the book or buy my own, but it's so fucked up because, like, it shows a cousin coming over from China to America, and it's like, Hello, cousins! Welcome (laughs) to America! And I was like, Holy... Like, it's legitimately fucking... Because it's a... It's like a comic book. It's a graphic novel. Yeah. And the guy is every bit the fucking stereotypical... Chinese person in, yeah. Anyway, when I looked at it, I was like, I really hope that, because there's a, hello, cousin, welcome to our memory. And I was like, holy fuck. And I was like, that is incredibly racist. And then I kind of chuckled because I was like, flipped back to see who wrote the fucking book. And it appears that two people with a last name that would indicate they were from that region wrote the book. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess you're allowed. But it's, I looked at it and I was like, I kind of want to read this now. (laughs) So you can follow Nikki at gory underscore Nikki and angel at color me dead angel on Instagram. And if you go to Facebook, there's color me dead podcast and the color me dead podcast. Facebook, Facebook
1: brook. (Kelly) (laughs) Facebook
0: ( makenRealistically) group. Um,
1: and we are not responsible for things that happen there. Nope. No, nor do we understand half of them. So we found. <clears throat> anyway, if you want to send us mail, preferably not hate, but we'll take whatever. Do it. It's P.O. Box 1610, Fernal Utah, 84078. Yeesh. <clears throat> um, thank you to all
0: of our Patreon subscribers, especially our examinators. Yes. We have Rhett Harris, Melissa Morgan, and Sharon Hoffman. Thank you guys so much. And actually, thank you to every single
1: individual. Every single fucking one of you, All of ya. All
0: y'all. All of ya. Uh, you can also go to ageofradio.org slash dead. Um, check out things there. And the book that we used is called David. It was written by Marie Rothenberg and Mel White. If you guys want to get some
1: merch... Color Me Dead Pod. Threadless. Dot Com. I'm getting ready to upload some new shit. And thanks to Nicole. Yes, and I think Kelly is her fiance's name, right? Um, I, oh, please I, okay. So sorry, you guys are badass. And let me tell you, I just yeah, looked Nicole at and stuff. Nicole and Kelly. Yes, Thank Kelly. Y'all. I knew I read it right, but I've been dude. I fucking love the. I love the Don't. images. yes
0: don't don't share them we're gonna have them be a they're gonna be a
1: surprise surprise and we might have one of them printed out as stickers for our patreon soon yes maybe maybe maybe
0: we're not not gonna um we're not gonna give you guys any kind of promises because we
1: suck at following through because i forget the promises i make (laughs) and by we i mean me
0: I really, at this particular juncture, I wished I was still a drunk because then at least I had a reason for forgetting things. <laughs> but I don't. I no longer suffer from alcoholic wet brain and I remember lots of things, including things I forget.
1: <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, shit. I said that. Shit. Shit. All right. That's why we don't make promises anymore. We've found I that try we not cannot to. keep them. <laughs> no,
0: I try not to. It's fucking,
1: it's best if I don't. Real kick. Real-, real kick. <laughs>
0: hi my name's angel i'm an alcoholic fucking mouth make I'm words chillin hi um physically i'm chillin <laughs> fuck what was it what no emotionally i'm good physically i'm chillin it was my favorite affirmation ever
1: I, I think i love it i like to be chillin the the crap Recamp.
0: So we, we talked in the last episode of, about Charles Rothenberg. He's a total creep with a sordid criminal past, and he has kidnapped his six-year-old son, David. Marie Rothenberg had a troubled high uh childhood. Heil should
1: oh. <laughs> We're gonna dyslexic the shit out of this episode. Fuck yeah. Cough <laughs> <laughs> <Cup> yeah. <laughs>
0: So awesome. She had a troubled childhood and she divorced Charles, realizes um several years later what kind of a animal this person is, lets her ex-husband take the boy for an extended visit, and then realizes five days later that her ex-husband has absconded with her son. So here we are. Last week I left you guys on a cliffhanger. I apologize for nothing. And we left you on a phone call from Charles that was made to Marie several days after Charles and Davy had gone missing. And of course, Charles, on this phone call, is just playing games at this point. And when he finally makes that call to Marie days and days later, um, I don't know if it was really his intent, but it, to me it feels like he did it to make her suffer. Like he wanted her... I. Th- a piece of me wonders if he was so mentally broken and unstable at that point that he was trying to do the right thing, but he didn't want to suffer the consequences of his actions, so he was back and forth. Or was he actually playing a mind game with her and fucking with her on purpose?
1: May I give you my opinion? Please. <clears throat> he knows he's fucked up at this point. Right. And last time he went to jail, he didn't... She didn't take him for two years correct she didn't take david to see his father for 2 years so i in my opinion he's like fuck me no fuck you if i'm going away ain't nobody going to see him but so i don't know that, that could i could be way wrong that
0: could potentially be it um i go back and forth in my feelings for this because i know more than other people might know because i read the fucking book um also <laughs> i've known this case for a lot of years and since i was a youngin but uh, I I still struggle because even Marie, even, even David's mother and Charles' ex-wife, acknowledges the fact that he was mentally unwell. Mm-hmm. And so even she goes back and forth. Oh, my God. Wow. Get your shit together and leave your equipment alone. So even she goes back and forth between, you know, is he really being a prick and he's just a fucking monster? Or is he really suffering internally to a degree that he's going back and forth. And what I mean by that is, so he's on the phone, right? And he has called and Marie is like, what have you done with my son? Where's David? Let me talk to him. And Charles says, you can't, Marie. And of course, that's going to send any parent into... A spiral? Yeah, like you're going to start imagining, imagining and wondering all of the worst things. So when she is told that she can't speak to her son. She's like, why? What have you done with him? And he ever so nonchalantly says, because he's sleeping. Mm-hmm. But this time, the I think her scream, the way that she said it and the way that she burst into the phone, I think it scared him a little bit. I think it intimidated him. And Marie is looking at the clock. She's like, what do you mean he's sleeping? It's almost lunchtime. And that's, you know, this is kind of where he gets fucked up. I love that you can, like, hear me turn the pages because of the staples <laughs> in my collated papers. Fancy. It's fucking fancy. So she, she's like, "Yo, what do you mean he's still sleeping? It's almost lunchtime. And that's when Charles begins to explain, well, it's the time diff. You know, you know what? He can't. You, you can't talk to him. He's sleeping. And, of course, this is going to be confusing to Marie because she's like, what about the time? You know, why the fuck is my kid still snoozing at almost noon? What
1: the, f- what, the- what the hell are you talking about? Again, she demands to know where they are and what has happened to David. At this point, Marie vaguely recalls how Charles has once asked to take David out of school for a trip to Disney World, because he's the Disneyland diet. Um, but she had refused. She thought maybe that's where they went, but there wouldn't be a time difference. Light bulb. Are you in California? Marie asked Charles, are you at Disneyland? Because then there would be a time difference. Um, this was the most probable place they could be, and it would explain the time difference, the fact that Davy was still asleep, and the lack of communication. Of course, Charles would have headed back to the West Coast to escape Marie um, and the pending doom of Luchaus and the legal troubles that he was possibly facing.
0: Right, so if you guys recall from episode one, He had actually embezzled money, stolen money from the restaurant Lou Chow's. And then when he got let go and was fired from his employment, he retaliated by breaking in and defacing and um, tearing apart a bunch of shit.
1: Isn't that what you always do? I don't know. Charles denied being in California and said he was in upstate New York because that would make a time difference, right? Charles said that he tried to get reservations for something in California, but couldn't. He swore that he was still in New York, but that he was on a remote farm where he couldn't be found. Keep in mind, this is the time of no cell phones, no caller ID, and probably not even star 69 back then and for those of you little babies around here that don't know what star 69 is you little cuddle kids <laughs> that's when somebody called your house phone and it rang but you didn't know who the fuck it was you either was screening your calls or you didn't want to answer you missed it you could pick up your phone and do a star 69 and it would tell you the last number that called your house or if you were gone and you want to see if you missed a phone call star 69 right. last number that called
0: you guys will never understand the <laughs> amount of bullshit shit we had to fucking deal with prior to cell phones okay Just saying, like remember before, so you didn't want somebody to know that you were calling. You could star Star six six, eight and block your number. Seven. No, start. Oh, maybe it is star six seven, and it would block your number. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if you called and hung up or whatever, if you called and it rang and you panicked, they could star six nine you Mm -hmm. and fucking call you back.
1: Be like, bitch, why you calling? Yeah,
0: what the fuck do you want? Now,
1: after that,
0: we had this wonderful thing that came from Bell South and AT and T. Caller ID, and it was a completely separate apparatus <laughs> that had to be plugged into your motherfucking landline, and it would draw up a, a phone number, so you knew if it was like a telemarketer and shit like that. You know, when yeah. we look at our phone now, and you're like one eight seven seven, fuck you, I don't know. Um, nowadays. We, we have it all like we have fancier shit in the palm of our hand. That we than take they, with us. <laughs> yeah, that we put in our fucking pocket than they had on the first launch of a shuttle into space.
1: Damn.
0: Let that sink in. Well. Go ahead. Now Moving that forward.
1: Know, now that you know how old we are.
0: Uh, I'm 38. I don't give a fuck.
1: Yeah, I I know it almost
0: broke my heart when the guys from Color Color Me Dad, the guys from Color Me Dad, the colored, (laughs) the colored guys from last podcast on the left. That'll fucking color me on the left. (laughs) (laughs) Something last podcast on the left. I'm 35.
1: I'm like fuck you. Damn it. Whatever. She was afraid to hang up the phone because because of all of that. It was harder to find somebody than it is now, and. She was afraid that she was going to call, hang up the phone and he wouldn't call back. And she needed clues. So she was like, please, please let me talk to David. No, Marie, he's fine. He's sleeping. And then the line went dead. The The buzz of the dial tone, which is another thing a lot of you kids won't know. <laughs> but it was still ringing, like stinging in her ear. It's like the loudest, most annoying Yeah, and it's so rejecting, too. Like, (laughs) you're like, fuck, you just hung up, asshole. Like, now we still sit here and talk to people on our phones. We're like, did you you hang up? Because there's nothing there. But then you knew. At this point, Marie was almost certain that they were in California. She had to wait for him to call again. About 15 minutes later, there was a call from Charles. Marie said that he sounded drained and tired. She imagined him standing... Um, his neck bent and his head hanging as he spoke David wants to talk to you Marie but he's busy right now Marie was certain that Charles was trying to keep the call from David he would want to talk to his mother after all this time away Charles where are you Marie could hear
0: sounds of a video game and she thought maybe it was like you know how in old hotels they had arcades they had like a legitimate game room Charles, please let me talk to David. And at this point, Marie has begun to beg. He can't right now, Marie. He's too busy. Why? He's he's playing a video game. He can't stop. Talk to his fucking mother. So <laughs> Marie, of course, same thing, demanded that the game be interrupted. And she's like shouting to Charles. Let me talk to David. Give him another quarter. So he m- nothing. There's just silence on the phone after that. Okay and it's like this uncomfortable long silence before Charles says i'm i'm going to keep david for a while marie now this causes her to completely flip the fuck out and mm-hmm. it starts an argument. There was begging, shouting, obscenities. Marie said that she didn't recall exactly how the conversation had gone and ended that day, but it was said by Charles later in an interview that she had threatened him. Now Marie doesn't, re- she doesn't necessarily recall doing this, um, but she swore to Charles that once she got David back, he would never see his son again. And... David said, or not, excuse me, David didn't say that. Charles said that this is one of the reasons that he didn't want to return to Brooklyn. Now, given the state of panic and hysteria that a mother would be in after your son has been abducted by his own father, uh-huh. and then this this subsequent series of cryptic fucking phone calls, yeah, one might say some shit out of anger. Now, I'm not trying to... Um, alleviate her responsibility for saying those sort of things if in fact she did but I'm also not going to give him the oh well no wonder you decided to be a fucking crazy person you don't do that you don't hurt your kids so that being said She said that it was, or Charles said that he would go on to blame Marie's threat to keep David away from him as one of the reasons that he would go on to try to murder his son. Now, Charles promised to give her another phone call later that night around 7 p.m. Hangs up the phone. Hmm. This time, Marie calls the police. They instructed her that on the next phone call, you need to keep calm. You need to keep Charles calm. No fighting. No arguing. Try to get some clues as to where he was and make sure you talk to David. And that was like the big kicker, right? Yeah. I'm. I'm sure that was f- foremost in the front of her fucking. She mind was as probably well.
1: like, "Fucking really? No uh, shit.
0: You don't say. What the
1: fuck have I been trying to do this whole goddamn time? Thanks, thank you, Captain you for being Obvious. so helpful. Yeah, thank you
0: for being so helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm small. My small woman brain couldn't tell me that that was going to be an important part of this. Thank
1: Jesus for your superior male brain <laughs> to tell me to try to talk to my child. Fuck. Why didn't I think of that? Jesus. Sorry, I just. I'm listen, just your kidding. small
0: woman brain can't possibly handle the dynamics of talking <laughs> to your kid. Sorry, just kidding. I don't know that any of the officers were really like that. That's just me being a prick.
1: That's just us making shit up because it uh, was funny
0: because I do that. Now go fuck yourself. Um, So, but it was too late. See, Charles didn't call like he said that he was going to. There was no word on Wednesday either. So Marie is growing more and more frantic by the minute. Thursday came, no call. Marie had reported to work as she was supposed to, which totally blows my mind because there's absolutely no way that I'm getting up, getting dressed and going to work.
1: No. I can't. And she must know that he was going to call her work though. That's the only thing I could put together. Well,
0: if he can't reach her at home, You know, no cell phone. They're going to call work. But I wouldn't have left my home phone. Like, I'd have been hovering over that motherfucker like it was the last Oreo in the box.
1: I wonder, like, I can only imagine what I know what I would look like going into work at that point. I wonder what she looked like.
0: So everyone in her office had already known what had happened. And everybody had been gathering around her office and her phone that day trying to get a little smidgen of good news. Mm.
1: Finally, a call came through to Marie's office Thursday. Hello? Marie answered, but there was no response. A brief, stunning silence followed by the dial tone. Marie hurried to get the operator. Was it Charles? Yes, it was, but just as I connected the call, it went dead, the operator said to her. Roughly 20 minutes later, another call was placed to Marie, but this time it was not the person she had hoped for. It was not Charles. Nope. Instead, it was an operator from Westin- Western Union with a telegram. Yep. I didn't know telegrams were still a thing in the 80s. Yep. Now I know. And knowing's half the battle. Yeesh. Yeesh. An operator with a trembling voice. Marie feared the worst. Miss Rothenberg? Yes. What is it? Marie answered. I I have a telegram for you. May I read it? Marie described her stomach as being knotted. Her palms grew damp. The operator sounded as though she were crying, and Marie was on the verge of sickness. Yes, please read it. Dear Marie, by the time you read this, I will have terminated my existence. You have caused me enough harm, and I have gone through enough. Also, be informed that your son has been in an accident. He's at University California at Irvine Medical Center Burn Unit. Two phone numbers followed. Hysterically, Marie began writing them down. Her heart had just about stopped. Charles had never threatened suicide, ever. What happened to David? Was he playing a trick? The operator sounded full of dread, sorrow, and grief. Coworkers had gathered around Marie's office door at this point, all hoping to get some shred of good news. But there was none to share. Marie was helped to her chair by Walter Orleman's. Orlemans the personal manager <laughs> Got that not so fresh feeling? Try orlemans. Oh, Orlemens <laughs> for all of your grocery needs. <laughs> Try the Orlemans dairy. <laughs> not dairy, I was gonna say deli <laughs> same fucking thing. I'm sure they have dairy too. Cheese!
0: They got cheese! And there's
1: cheese there. <laughs> oh, God. Marie had almost collapsed. She froze, pondering the madness of the telegram she had just received. Was it an accident? Marie dialed the first of two numbers that were on the telegram. An operator came on and transferred Marie to the medical center, but she was then transferred to Detective Alice Lauder of the Buena, Buena, Buena Park Police.
0: Marie had called the first of the two numbers. I'm searching for my child. His name is David Rothenberg. I got a telegram from his father stating that David had been in an accident. What has happened to my son? Detective Lautner Lautner, No, it's Lotter. Detective Alice Lotter had very limited information for Marie. She could not tell how or why David had been taken to the burn unit. The only person who had any information on the nightmare that Marie had been facing was Charles. However, Charles had managed to disappear into thin air. He had last been seen fleeing a motor motor. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, <laughs> hurl the dead. <laughs> all right <clears throat> he had last been seen fleeing a motel near disneyland and the buena park police had so many questions there were clues so many that marie had missed the first had been luchaus now the warrant had been issued for charles arrest he wasn't the doting father out on a field trip with his son instead it was pretty apparent now that he was a criminal running from the gun. He had that long criminal record. He was a thief, he was a liar, and he was not returning to Brooklyn without facing a gob of troubles with the law. Marie knew this, and more importantly, Charles knew this. He had no intentions of returning to Brooklyn.
1: What? I'm so shocked. What was that? He wasn't going to walk in and turn himself in? Nope. Weird.
0: Charles' current girlfriend had the second clue. The Friday night before Charles flew David to California, the three had actually gone to a local Italian diner called Helen's. There are no fast food chains in the neighborhood in the little area of Brooklyn mm-hmm. and this little broken family had actually frequented this restaurant before and they'd met the owner Helen on many occasions now the owner Helen had seen them just as many times as they had seen her and she recalled how anxious and nervous Charles seemed on their visit he was short-tempered with everyone the staff his girlfriend even David huh. While the three of them had been there, Charles, David, and the girlfriend, they were waiting for the meals, and David and Charles began to quarrel and yell at one another. You little brat! Charles spat at David. David, who was not a chimid... chimid
1: he's not chimid. He's
0: not a chimid child. He's, he's not m-
1: very chimid. <laughs>
0: he's not chimid, enjoys a chonga on occasion, <laughs> but today it was Italian. All right. David, who was not timid or passive, yelled back at his father. Charles shoved David with his shoulder, and it caused David to hit the floor, and he started crying. This behavior was completely unheard of in Charles, and it even shocked his girlfriend. Moreover, it shocked Helen. Charles had never struck David. He had never raised his voice in anger at David either. This would be a huge red flag as to the emotional state of Charles just day before days before he would try to kill him. During this altercation, no one intervened. No one contacted Marie. Now, even though everybody knew that David's mother lived in the the neighborhood, they saw her often, and that she was right around the corner, nobody told her about this.
1: That's annoying. You better fucking tell me about that shit.
0: Well, and I think it goes back to that, like, you know... He was—he didn't beat the shit out of the kid. You know what I mean? He didn't, like, grab him and whip him within an inch of his life. They got into a an argument, and he shoved his kid. Now, is shoving your kid okay? No, fuck. It's really not, especially when it's a six-year-old kid. You really need to, like, think about yourself. You, you need to not. Really. I mean, it's it's six years old. But did he hurt the kid? No. Probably hurt his feelings more than he hurt the child. So in a lot of different ways, it may have been a situation where... People didn't think that it warranted contacting Marie in the grand scheme of things. I bet a lot of those people wish they had,
1: though. Yeah. There was yet another clue, a third clue from airline records. The day that Charles and David flew to California, a limousine had taken them to their hotel in Buena Park near Disneyland, and it was noted that it had been raining. They had checked into a hotel about 2.30 p.m. It had been noted that during this time in 1983, when it rained in Southern California everything stopped. Right. Nothing's happening. Nope. Nothing. The freeways are coated in thin films of oil. The rain turned these fast travel routes into accident-filled traps. The intersections filled with water and hydroplaning accidents were common. Flash floods took place as well. It was not uncommon for the tourist attractions to close during these rainy days as the flow of tourists slow or stop all together because of the shitty fucking roads right right. well and nobody wants
0: to go to Disneyland when it's raining cat and dogs like no. what are you going to get you're all going to huddle under a fucking Mickey Mouse umbrella and pray that it gets better uh, nah.
1: and spend $90 on a chicken wing
0: <laughs> they're turkey drumsticks yeah, turkey. if you want to get technical same
1: thing <clears throat> or those Mickey Mouse ice cream bars that are $30 a piece right mm-hmm. those are good <laughs> All of the attractions attractions, all of the attractions that Charles had promised to David were closed due to the rain. It rained for five very long days. This meant that David and nervous Charles were holed up into a hotel for five long days. From Saturday to February 26th, which is my best friend's birthday, to March 2nd
0: <laughs> It is in
1: fact. The rain fell nonstop. There had been some clues found out about how the two spent their days. There were temporary memberships purchased at the local rec center. Wild bangers. They had rented a car to go to the beach, but was unsex- unsuccessful. Unsuccessful as the rain fell. It is pretty easy to see what happened next with a stir crazy child who was promised all of the adventures and mentally un- and a mentally unstable man who was at the end of his rope. There is only so much that can keep a six year old happy when Disneyland and Knotts is just like right outside their door, but can't go there the beaches that cannot be swam rides that cannot be ridden Charles had been trying desperately to keep his spoiled babe happy but there came an end to David's happiness David grew restless he was bored disappointed and ready to ter- to return to Brooklyn which was a very big deal when you stop to think about the neighborhood that David grew up in if you want to leave California to go back to Brooklyn right. it's been a fucking shitty time there Mm
0: -hmm. Hey, guys, we apologize in advance. We are having (laughs) technical difficulties on this episode. We're going to have to go get some new equipment. And uh, we didn't realize that it was
1: going to be this big of a deal until we were partially through the episode. So bear with us. David grew up in a place called Carroll Gardens. He looked at the outdoors from a third-story window apartment. He looked into a square that was three sides of old apartments and the fourth, a public school building. In the middle of the square is a little bit of park. There's some
0: statues in the middle that honor fallen soldiers. There's mostly spray paint graffiti on all of the walls, statues, and the restrooms. There's trash bins, tree trunks, sidewalks, and they're all covered in graffiti as well. In the middle of the square, there's mothers pushing strollers, rough boys playing roller hockey, old Italian men puffing away on their cigarellos while they watch other men play handball. A few streets and. Excuse me, there are a few streetlights in Carroll Gardens, and while the kids are roaming through the square, they just cast these eerie little shadows all over. over. Now, these aren't bad kids, but this is the only place they had to go, was this graffiti-soaked concrete jungle where violent sounds and sights sometimes scar the night. Children like Davy, the kids of Carroll Garden, you know, they dreamt of clean, wide streets, fresh painted buildings, and beaches, which is exactly where he was. Now, to have flown clear across the nation from... Brooklyn to Buena Park and you're sitting in the Holiday Inn and you know that Disneyland is there only to find that it's closed had to have been a pretty big shock and disappointment and for an excited six-year-old to be stuffed into a fucking Holiday Inn hotel room when all of these things are literally a fucking hop skip and a jump away that's a big kick in the soul dick yeah it is I
1: just wanted Mickey Mouse. I, I know. And all I got is fucking rain.
0: And all I got is rain. Now, that was a big enough kick to the chin. But imagine having to do that on repeat like it was Groundhog Day for five long days. Charles knew that the minutes were ticking away, the precious seconds that he had to shower his son with love and to impress his kid. This is all being wasted away in the hotel room. in in the hotel room and being washed away into a gutter with Southern California rains. Charles knew that he was going to be jailed again. And he also knew that Marie was incredibly angry and wouldn't take him, take his son to see him in jail. So that was going to be off the table. Um, the increasing hostility in the spoiled and bored son must have pushed Charles to a horrible mental state is the way that Marie told it to reporters. Oh. And I I value her ability to look at the situation and say, I know that my son can be difficult. I also know that my son is incredibly spoiled. And that given his mental state and then their... um being cooped up in this hotel room. And she's like, I can only imagine how frazzled this would have made anybody, let alone somebody that was already on the brink. Charles and Davey had landed in Southern California on Saturday. Four days later on Wednesday, Charles had actually gone into a hardware store in Buena Park and purchased 2.5 gallons of kerosene. No one can say what drove Charles mad enough to try and kill his son. And no one but Charles knows why he picked fire. He is currently sitting in Mule Creek State Prison, so maybe we should write to him and fucking ask. Marie pondered this several times. Why fire? However, it had dawned on her later that Charles had always had the fire bug inside of him, and how did she overlook all of these different things? There were incidents evidence that proved that Charles would use fire to vent his anger. There had been a mysterious fire that actually destroyed the second laundromat that they purchased, and it happened after Charles admitted that he knew it was a mistake to buy it. Another mysterious fire burned three flights of stairs that led to Marie's apartment after their divorce. The stairwell had actually exploded into flames, and Marie and David had narrowly escaped being burned to death by sneaking out the back on the fire escape the metal escape stairs mm-hmm. out on the back and now this fire which was intended to end a horrible holiday and the pending doom of an arrest
1: in case you listeners didn't know at this point is where you are gonna fucking get sick yep it's coming up just so you know it makes me sick i've read it multiple times to get myself ready for it but it sucks i was just about to read what you've already said. Because that is necessary.
0: Because that's the way the cookie
1: crumbles. (laughs) Um, Not only do they get to hear it in your voice, they'll hear it in mine, too. Charles bought the kerosene and placed it into the trunk of the rented white Chevy Cavalier. He left and went to a nearby hotel and rented a separate room in another location, room number 139. He still had the ho- had the room at the Holiday Inn where he and David stayed. The hotel where Charles ho- Charles. Charles just moved to Louisiana. <laughs> Charles Charles.
0: Listen, Charles. Charles. Charles.
1: The ho- hotel where Charles had called Marie to tell her that David wanted to come home, where she could hear David playing video games. Marie often blames herself for what happens next. If only she had been softer and kinder to Charles. If only she had contacted the school first. If she had contacted this police sooner. If, if, if. I don't think that it matters what the fuck she did. It was going to happen anyway. On March 2nd, which was Wednesday, and my mom's birthday. It's everybody's birthday. Everybody. buddy. Uh, Charles moved... David from the Holiday Inn into the travel lodge nearby. It was noticed by witnesses that the rented white car was the only vehicle that was backed into the parking stall during the night. It's likely that David watched television before a struggle to get him into his blue pajamas and into the queen-size bed. Now, Charles never admitted Mm Charles never admitted to using a sleeping pill, never mentioned or discussed in the court proceedings that followed the crime. But a year after the tragedy, a commercial for sleep aid came on to television. When David inquired about the pill, Marie told him what the pill was for. Confused then, she asked him, why David? Daddy gave me that pill before he, the boy didn't have to finish the sentence. Marie knew what David had done. Nope. Marie knew what Charles had done. Charles said many times that he had intended to take his own life, but there is zero evidence of that. Charles claimed to have lost his nerve and went back in to try to rescue David, but all the witnesses' accounts say very differently. I am not shocked about that whatsoever. Nope. Nope. No. Another guest that had been staying at the travel lodge Maisel Nadine Coons. Yes, was on the second floor, kitty-corner from David's room. She saw the white car backed into the parking spot um, when she checked to see if it was still raining between 11.50 and 12. She noticed something odd. The driver's door was still open on the car, and it appeared as though the engine was still running. She continued to watch out her window when she saw Charles walk from the lower-level hotel room carrying a white jug. Charles took the jug to the trash in front of the room and turned turned back room one thirty nine and bent over as if to pick something up. He slammed the door he slammed the door shut to the room and ran to the white car. Miss Coons said that Charles sped from the parking lot at a high rate of speed, like forty miles per hour, and headed down Beach Boulevard. The
0: explosion is what came next. The glass from the windows in room one thirty nine blew out into the air. Miss Coons could hear screams coming from the burning room a man had gone over and begun to try and kick the door down flames leapt from the room and were licking at the flesh of the rescuers another man ran to the aid with a fi- another man ran to the aid of the first rescuer with a fire extinguisher in hand david's screams for help had stopped david's body was found on his back on the floor with his head and his hands reaching for the doorway there had been a businessman from chicago at the buena park travel lodge that <clears throat> that night by the name of jeffrey michelin who was jolted from his sleep by david's screams and the breaking glass from the explosion explosion from david's the breaking glass of the explosion he ran to David's. god damn it he ran to david's aid where the screams of a person who can't read a paragraph because she keeps rereading <laughs> the same shit over and over would echo forever in his ears he ran to David's aid where the other two identify, unidentified men were trying to get to David, but all three were being back. Fuck, man, is this what I'm gonna do? All three were being beaten back by the flames. Mr. Michelin eventually crawled in on his hands and knees and pulled the charred body of David Rothenberg out of the room. Paramedics had actually radioed ahead. Radioed. Radio cuts the grass, fuck!
1: Gorilla radio! <laughs>
0: Don't be mad at radio. Don't be mad at radio. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Paramedics had radioed ahead to the hospital to warn the staff of what they were about to receive into their emergency room. Sue Martinez, the head nurse, was called first. She demanded the finest nurses, the most skilled, be assembled. There were 14 doctors and nurses waiting when David arrived. They had worked throughout the night nonstop to save little Davy's life. Every piece of David had been seared by the roaring flame. His ears, nose, fingers and toes, the skin that had once covered his body were gone, leaving the veins, muscles and organs. Everything was bloody and exposed. <sighs> It was said that the nurses only remember seeing big brown eyes staring up at them, alert and full of pain and fear. The nurses tried desperately to console the little boy and soothe him, but they didn't even know his name, and he couldn't tell them. The nurses whispered, rumors echoing the halls, what could possibly have happened to this what could possibly have happened to David? No one knew except for Charles, but where had he but where had he fled? Nurses whispered about the other children that they had tended. Children burned half as much as David, and those children didn't make it. Dee Fraser, one of the nurses on the floor, one of David's favorite nurses, was the first one to say what everybody was thinking. This kid isn't going to make it. What those nurses and doctors didn't know was that David was full of a fighter spirit and he was willing to do whatever it took to stay alive. All of those nurses said that he was always cooperative and did everything that was always asked of him. Sue Martinez, the head nurse, said they hated not knowing his name. She called him Sugar, Sweetheart, and Little Bug. David would nod when she asked if he could hear her. She told him that he was going to be okay, although no one really believed that. When Sue asked David to please help them the best that he could, he just nodded again. When David was admitted to the burn unit, he smelled of smoke, soot, and the chemicals that had burned around him. There was ashes and material burned into his body. They had to give David a bath. Gentle hands had lowered him into the whirlpool as they began cleansing the burned body. They were able to watch away much, much of the refuse they were able to they were able to wash away much of the refuse that had burned into his body and blistered the skin and they had to pull pieces from the folded parts of his limbs there were so many tasks that had to be performed that night to save David's life. David literally had swallowed the flames that burned him. He inhaled dense and powerful smoke, chemical smoke that had filled that room. The fire had reached down into his throat and it burned his trachea deep into his lungs. The pink lining of healthy lungs had been incinerated. All of the tissue living in his throat and lungs began to swell, turning David's body against him and choked off his oxygen and was trying to kill him. He had to be tubed and a ventilator started to breathe for him forcing oxygen into the lungs so that he would not strangle and die david's body was one large open wound the threat of infection was massive david's skin had started to slough off his body leaving him susceptible to so many threats the blue gowns worn by the staff doctors and nurses and soon his mother would be draped in blue blue too gloves masks what
1: i just remembered that my mom had to do that yeah like i didn't remember it until you just said it like i've
0: read this but it didn't like, just, you're having weird flashbacks? Uh-huh. I'm sorry.
1: That's okay. I'm tuning you out for the most part, but I, that just caught me. I was like... Ugh.
0: <sighs> Gloves, masks, gowns, and foot cover. Foot covers! Gloves, masks, gowns, and foot cover, all to keep him safe. David appeared almost ghost-like. His body had been slathered in silvadene and netting to keep to keep him safe and soothe David and ward off those infections, only the big brown eyes shining from an oozing mess of a body. Catheters, hard and synthetic, were inserted into David. Some delivered fluids, some drained his bladder. All were there to save his life. Fluid must be delivered soon after to burn patients so they don't dehydrate and go into shock from loss of fluid. Gallons went into David within the very first few hours just to cope with the horrendous loss. David's entire system had to be monitored. His kidneys, his lungs, his heart, everything was struggling, his entire body in survival mode. Tubes went into David's stomach so that he would not throw up, draining any buildup. The stress alone would cause the body to vomit and unstabilize a patient. David was already so close to death everything on david began to swell his tissue turning inside out on itself his eyelids flipped inside out and swelled shut an immediate surgery was required to fix his eyelids his head was swollen triple its normal size three times the normal size like a basketball on his shoulders it had burned it had been burned clear down to the skull his outer layers of flesh had been burned harder than tanned leather just below the circulation system was leaking fluid, and the begin and they were beginning to build up due to the charring on the outside. They could not expand. The skin had been hard. whoops. I'm trying to read this without getting upset, and I'm fucking up. <laughs> Due to the charring, the skin could not expand. The doctors then had to take scalpels and cut tiny incisions into the hard outer layers to alleviate the buildup of fluid so the pressure didn't cause damage to David. Machines beeped, hummed, blinked, lines darted across screens. Nurses stood in one position for hours until their arms and legs ached. What they had to do was hold his arms, his head, and legs ever so gently and keep him still. Any thrashing or involuntary jerks could rip a catheter out of his body. Losing any of those intravenous lines could mean death for David. Years of schooling was being tested to the fullest limit at Orion Medical. Doctors and nurses alike... Meanwhile, Charles had disappeared and no one in Buena Park knew his whereabouts. The police launched a nationwide manhunt to find the person responsible for burning David alive. A telegram had been sent during this same time, the telegraph that Marie would Marie would receive. Charles had checked out of the Holiday Inn, he had returned his rental car to another airport and purchased a tif- ticket to San Francisco under the name David Love.
1: And this is where we stop. Yep. <laughs> and notice how i was absent there for a moment Ugh. sorry for anybody else that has burned ptsd that shit's fucking nasty um join us next week for the continuation of david rothberg rothenberg not ben rothless burger nope people rothless berger yes the boy that fire couldn't kill part three in the meantime don't be an obtuse twat And stay out of chalk lines. Goodbye. (music)